Thank you. It is a delight always when I get to come and be with you, and I'm very grateful. So uh, I appreciate the fact that many of you pray for us faithfully. Uh, I know Michael still does, and I pray for you all very faithfully as well. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 6, and I'm, I'm just taking a midsection out of this chapter, but we're going to talk about what comes before and what comes after. But in Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 6, this is God's Word. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anatoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Mashiach, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both sealed and unsealed, copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord." Let us pray that God would help us to understand this, his holy word. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. Give us ears to hear your voice, we pray, and help us to believe your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to ask you a question. I don't know how familiar you are with Jeremiah's story, but where was he when this took place? says the courtyard of the guard. He was in prison. Jeremiah was in prison when this happened. Why was Jeremiah in prison? He was in prison for preaching the message that God had given him. They put you in prison for that? Yeah, sometimes. Ask John the Baptist when you see him next. Sometimes when you preach what God says... People don't like it. Well, why didn't they like what Jeremiah said? Because Jeremiah was preaching that 
God was sending judgment on his people in the form of a foreign government, a foreign king, a foreign military that was going to attack Jerusalem and destroy it. God had told Jeremiah, you tell the king and the people that Nebuchadnezzar, who worshiped demons, not the living God, Nebuchadnezzar is my instrument, says the Lord. And he is coming as my instrument of judgment against my people for their sins. To resist him is not only futile, it is to resist God. You are fighting against God if you fight against that demon-worshipping foreigner. Can you see where that wouldn't be popular? <laughs> I mean, that would seem very unpatriotic. In fact, it was considered treason. Jeremiah seemed to be working as an agent of a foreign government against the government of his own people, but he wasn't. He was working as the agent of God who was concerned about the kingdom of God, and God had told him to deliver this message. He didn't like it. Jeremiah did not like it. He was not happy about the message, but he was obedient to God. He was obedient even when people tried to kill him. He was obedient even when it meant going to prison. He was still going to faithfully say something that was incredibly offensive to everybody. That's why he was in prison. Okay, okay well, uh, thank you for that. I, I feel so much better now. Uh, sorry you couldn't deliver that on July 4th weekend. Um, but, uh, I mean... <laughs> Could, could you please? Well, here's, here's the deal. Jeremiah, in prison for preaching that the country is about to be overrun by foreigners and that the buildings are going to be destroyed and tons of people are going to be killed and a ton of the people who are not killed are going to be carried off to Babylon as prisoners. Jeremiah who's in prison for that message, gets a word from the Lord, your relative is about to come and give you the opportunity to buy some land here in this country. Buy it. <laughs> what? What? I'm sorry, why would I want to do that? Okay? The reason I'm in prison is because you told me to tell them that this place is going to be destroyed, and right now, as we're speaking, God, there's, there's uh, siege works built up against the city wall. I mean, our days are numbered. You said our days are numbered. What you said was going to happen is happening. And you told me it's going to be 70 years of exile. You know that verse every American loves right now? I mean, the Christians love the world doesn't even know it. But, but the Christians love that verse. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Okay? It's such a happy verse. We, we put that on a plaque. We put it on the cover of our Bible. We put it on a diary cover. We put it everywhere. We want to be reminded when it, it looks like things are tough. 
God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Isn't that wonderful? Jeremiah is the one who had that message, okay? But the context of that message is God was saying, in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. Now, I'm not going to ask everybody to raise their hand and tell me how old they are. But I can, I'm not blind. <laughs> and I can tell that some of you are not likely to still be coming to apostles 70 years from now. Okay? Um, now, some of you, young people, 70 years from now, you're thinking, I, I may still be around. Yeah, but you'll be older than me. <laughs> you understand that? Okay, I'm not even 70 yet. I'm getting there, okay? But the youngest people in this church 70 years from now are not going to be young people. And this promise that God has these wonderful plans for us, he's talking about something out there. A generation was counted as 40 years. This is almost two generations from now. The folks are going to get to come back. God, if that is the case, what in the world are you wanting me to buy real estate here for? I mean, why would I do that? That was Jeremiah's situation. He's in prison for saying that the country's about to be destroyed, and God says, you're about to have an opportunity to buy some real estate right here. How about buying it now? Would you want to buy a cabin in the woods half a mile from a forest fire in California? Okay? I mean, would that seem like a good investment to you? Would you want, if there were hurricanes coming in both directions toward Florida, would you say, honey, let's buy that condo now? Okay? I mean, th this just doesn't make sense. And so, if you look at verse 8, then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now, the NIV, which I'm using an NIV, it doesn't have the word then there. It says then at the start of the verse, but in the middle of the verse where it says then I knew, it doesn't say then I knew. It just says I knew. But the NIV, which I love, messed up there. Okay? If you check it in the King James, which is the only real Bible, if you check it, check it in the King James, it says, then I knew, okay? Well, you can't rely on the King James. He's kidding about that, right? Okay, if you check it in the New American Standard Bible, which is extremely literal, it says, then I knew, okay? If you check it in the ESV, which is much more trendy among Reformed evangelicals today, if you check it in the ESV, it says, then I knew. If you check it in the CSB, which is kind of Southern Baptist attempt at the market. Um, the CSB says, then I knew. Um, if you check it in the New Living Translation, it says, then I knew. You know why it says, then I knew in all those other translations? Because it says, then I knew. 
And why would you make a big deal out of that? I mean, what's the big deal? I'm telling you what the big deal is. Because when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and it didn't make any sense, he had to be wondering, is that really the word of the Lord? Now, here's a guy who was so sure of the word of the Lord that he had risked his life on it time and again. He had endured persecution for it again and again. He's in prison for it right now. But when he's told to buy this real estate, he's thinking, really? And then his relative shows up just as the Lord had said would happen. And the relative offers him the opportunity to buy the land just as the Lord said would happen. You know why? Everything always happens just as the Lord says. You need to know that. Satan's lie, and he is a liar and the father of lies, Satan's lie has always been, you can't believe God's word. That's how he started in the garden. He's never had to change his tactic. He's still pulling the same stunt today, lying to people by calling God a liar. Well, Satan's the liar. God's word is true, and everything always ends up just the way God said. That is a pattern from Genesis to Revelation, and you and I need to know it. That's why we need to know God's Word, is so that when other things come along, we're able to test it by God's Word. Because if it doesn't line up with God's Word, it is not true. But Jeremiah gets this word from the Lord, and it doesn't contradict what God has already told him. But it doesn't make sense to him in light of what God has already told him. If you study the Bible with the understanding that it is all true, you will find some things in there that you'll say, okay, I'm going to believe that because God says it, but I sure don't understand that. If you haven't gotten there, keep reading, okay? Now, every now and then, you'll find a preacher or a Bible teacher, and thank God Michael's not one of these, but you'll find a preacher or a teacher who thinks they understand the whole thing, okay? They got it all figured out. You know, if, if, there's a, if you have any questions about the Bible, you just feel free to ask me. I can explain it all, okay? Uh, let me tell you one of the things. Well, I'll give you two verses for those who struggle with that. First of all, The Bible says that right now we see is in a glass darkly. Then we shall see face to face. So clearly there's some stuff we don't know yet. Okay? And when it talks about that which is perfect, which comes, it is not talking, contrary to some arrogant Bible teachers, it is not talking about the completion of the canon. It's talking about when we shall see face to face. Read the context. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? But the other, one of my absolute favorites, is in 2 Peter chapter 3, where the Apostle Peter is talking about the writings of the Apostle Paul, and he describes them as other scriptures, okay? He recognizes Paul's writing as scripture, and he says, but you know, some of the things he writes are hard to understand. All oh, right. If St. Peter could find some of Paul's writings hard to understand. You can too. And so can I. And it's okay. 
But that doesn't mean we don't believe them. It just means, you know, well, how do you reconcile this with this? I don't. It's not my job. My job is to say, this is what God says. Amen? So, Jeremiah gets a word from the Lord that does not fit with what God had already told him that he'd gone to prison for. God's telling him to buy real estate in a place that's about to be overrun and destroyed. That just does not seem to make sense. Why would I want to take my silver and invest it in property that I will never get to use? Why? And the answer is because God said so. And that's all the answer you need. One of the things that we try and teach the students at the ranch is something that all parents should teach their children. And that is obey, and then you may ask questions. Obey, and then you may ask questions. Why is that important? Because the nature of authority is that you and I are not supposed to ask those who are in authority over us, why? Why are you asking me to do that? Why should I have to do that? Okay? Well, then, then what's going to happen? Well, why, how did you come to that conclusion? We're not supposed to ask that until after we've complied, until after we've obeyed. Okay? Say, so, well, that, that sounds dangerous. That puts too much too much power in the hands of authority figures. Are you not aware that some people abuse their authority? I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me tell you something else that we teach the kids at the ranch and that every parent ought to teach their child. And that if you have grandchildren, you ought to make sure they know. Ready for this? You might want to jot this down. No one has authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. Let me say that again because that is one of the most important lessons you can teach a child. No one has authority to forbid what God commands or to command what God forbids. It's just they don't have authority at that point. Well, what's the practical implication? I work with kids who've been abused, kids who've been molested, the last thing I want them to think is that if some grown-up, even a relative or a teacher or somebody on the church staff or some community leader tells them you need to do this, if that's contrary to God's word, you do not need to do that. You need to report them. Is that clear? But I'll tell you something else, Christian. If the government tries to tell the church you cannot do what God commands, government doesn't have that authority. Nobody has the authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. I'll tell you another thing that no government has the authority to command, and that is for us to lie. I don't, I don't see how that, I mean, you know, what are you talking about? Well, I'll give you a perfect example of current Situation. You teach in a government school. You're part of the U.S. military. And you are told that if Jim Wood decides to become June Wood and tries to get everybody to call me accordingly, say, yes, ma'am, refer to me as she and her and so forth, 
you got to do that. No, you don't. No, you don't. You wouldn't be helping June or Jim by perpetuating my delusion. And lying is not okay, even if the government tries to require it. Oh, boy, I can't believe he went there. I just... Well, somebody needs to go there. And I'll tell you this. Your pastor is not going to be upset I said that. You know Michael. (laughs) We tell the truth. We must tell the truth. Does that mean every time you run across somebody who is deluded or lying that we correct them? That we all become the famous Karen who's saying, no, 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 that's not right. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that the government has no business trying to compel speech from its citizens. Okay? So we don't lie. And not because we're unloving, hateful, bigoted people, but because it is not loving to lie to people. Don't lie about anything. Tell the truth. Live the truth. So, in that context, where no one has the authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands, if those who are in authority command something that is not against God, it's just against your wishes. Okay? You know what you have to do? Obey! Why would I want to do that? You don't have to want to. You just have to do it. When I tell my child, who are now all adults, when my children were young and I would say to them, you, you need to go upstairs now and get ready for bed. Oh, I want to do Why do I want I, I didn't ask for a vote. I said you need to go upstairs. It is vital that my children learn obedience because that's practice for when they're not going to be getting orders from me, they're going to be getting orders from God. And so I want my children to learn to submit their wills to authority, not because I'm on some kind of ego trip or have some kind of control issues, but because I want my kids to be prepared to live a life of obedience. Now, I want you to see something. If you look at this passage, I encourage you to read the part that comes before and the part that comes after where we were this morning. After Jeremiah did what God commanded him to do, which didn't make sense to him, then he prayed and said to God, please tell me what's going on here. Okay? If you read the rest of the chapter, he is going to say to God, look, you said we're about to be destroyed and it's happening right now, and now you want me to buy land? I'll give you just a sneak peek. Verse 26, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Hallelujah. You see, Jeremiah didn't understand what God was up to, but God was saying, there are going to be good days ahead. You won't live to see it, but there's going to be good days ahead. And I want you to take your money and invest it in this as a witness to these people that there is hope in the future. 
Let me just tell you something. If you want to take away from this morning's message, besides what I've already given you, and I think I've given you plenty, but if you want to take away, try this on. You and I, who have received God's grace in Jesus Christ, are to live a sacrificial life of obedience based on the imperishable hope that we have for our future with Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have in him a hope for the future that no government can take away, no prison sentence can take away, no doctor's diagnosis can take away, no financial collapse can take away. Let me tell you, if it all falls apart and all four wheels come off my cart, I'm still going to be fine. Okay? If an EMP gets to devastate our modern society and suddenly we're all left without the ability to use our cell phones and our refrigerators and our TVs, Oh, please don't. Why did you have to bring that up? I have an anxiety problem. Well, the, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I want you to get rid of your anxieties. I want you to understand that if it all goes away, we're still okay. Okay? People call me all the time to tell me that they've got a terrible disease. I mean, they want me to pray. And I'm happy to pray for them. But if I know them well enough, I'll tell them what I've told many people so far. And, and I still get the calls, which is remarkable. But I say, you need to understand. I mean, it's not the first thing I tell them. We talk for a while, and I commiserate with them, and I say, I'm sorry. And, 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 and then I say, well, now listen, there's something you need to understand. You may not live long enough to die of this disease. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, why would I tell them that? Because you see, we're deluded if we think we've been promised tomorrow. We're not. We're not. You can have the healthiest body in the morgue. Okay? Wow, look, they were in great shape, weren't they? Okay? Too bad about that tree that fell on them. Lovely Christian lady. Love Jesus. Young adult excellent health, just a few miles from the ranch, riding in a van full of family and friends, killed instantly when a tree fell on the van. I mean, just a moment earlier, they were laughing and talking, and suddenly, she's in heaven. The rest of them are in shock and grieving let me tell you something. If you know Jesus, you're going to be fine. If you don't know Jesus, you can live another 70 years and you're not going to be fine unless you get to know Jesus. Because all of us are going to stand before him one day. All of us are going to die. All of us are going to give an account to God. And the only place of safety is in Christ. So, if you know that, then you have a peace that passes understanding. You have a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. 
you have a reason to live in this life without fear because you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Jesus specifically told us not to. I'm going to say it again. We are called to live a life of sacrificial obedience based on our imperishable hope for the future in Christ Jesus. That's how we live. Tell you one more thing. I've told it here at Apostles before, but it's just one of my favorite things that ever happened to me. My wife and I were adopting three of our kids from an orphanage in Ukraine. We had not been to that orphanage. We had not laid eyes on the kids. But before they ever saw us, the oldest of those three who did not know Jesus believed the promise that someone was coming to get them and take them to a better place. And so what little he had in the way of possessions there at the orphanage, he began to give to others. Why? Because he believed the promise. He was going to a better place. Folks, if that's not a picture of how Christians ought to live, I don't know what is. Do we really believe the promise? Or are we thinking, man, i got to hold on to everything i got because something, something bad might happen. So, Pastor, are you saying I need to Give everything away? No, I'm telling you, you need to do what God says, whatever he tells you. If God tells you you need to save that for troubles that are coming, save it for troubles that are coming. But if you're getting your sense of the future not from God, but from watching the news, you're not very bright. (laughs) Well, let's just say you're not behaving in a very intelligent manner. How's that? Because God is the one who knows the future. And God is the one who knows your future. God never says, oh, boy, I should have planned for that. Corey Ten Boom used to say, there's never a panic in heaven. Don't think for a moment that God is still figuring out what to do about your future. The Bible tells us he numbered our days before one of them came to be. He's got a plan for you. You say, well, so far I'm not crazy about the plan. Okay. Well, Jeremiah was in prison. You think he was having fun? Read his book. Okay. He, he says, this is, this is really hard. I don't like this. God says, you just keep doing what I told you. I'll tell you something. 70 years from now, most of us will have finished our race on earth. Most of us. I think some of you guys have got longer than that. But I'll tell you, the only thing that's going to matter when we get to the end is whether or not we're trusting Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, you do what he says. Jeremiah obeyed, and then he asked questions. It's okay. You can do that too. If you trust him, you'll obey him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us and sending Jesus to save us. Thank you so much that when we could never pay the debt we owed, you paid the debt we owed. Thank you that the plan you have for us is in fact good. 
to give us a future and a hope. And thank you that it's not tied up in real estate here. Thank you that our future is in a place that Jesus is preparing for us right now. And so we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.